welcome to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are very glad you have joined us for this episode, where we'll be taking a look at the at season three of Picard, which has three episodes. So we're going to discuss those three episodes and come back maybe later this year and talk about how they wrapped up this, which is the final season. Uh, oh. We do. Well, I know it's so sad. Uh, since you've heard him already, let's welcome Caleb. Glad you're here, sir. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing awesome. How are you today, Mark? I'm doing really well. I, you know, though, I do want to remind folks that we are presented by ProgressiveChristianity.org, a group that we very much encourage you to go and check out all the resources there. And, uh, you know, follow us as well, the Moonshine Jesus Show. You can pick us up on Facebook, and you also can uh, <clears throat> download the podcast at all of your favorite podcast outlets. So grab that. And uh, before we get going with our drinks, Caleb, uh, Reminder, we must do every show. Folks, this is not a spoiler-free zone. It's definitely a spoiler-full zone. So that all being said, uh, Caleb, I'm looking forward to the show, but I'm also very curious, what drink did you decide to prepare for the show? Okay, so I took my inspiration from a scene in the third episode uh, where I'd have been, I'd have been uh, my inspiration it's, too. I, <laughs> I, I kind of had a feeling. I don't know. We'll see if we've gone yep. to the same place on this. But there, there's a flashback scene where Riker is telling Picard about the birth of his son. And to uh, celebrate, they are drinking whiskey, uh, which is kind of fun because, you know, you don't see a, any whiskey really in a lot of the right. TV series before this. So, I've taken my inspiration from that, and I have uh, chosen my whiskey of choice, bourbon, and I've made an old-fashioned, and that's what I'm drinking today, because if it's good enough for Picard and Riker, it's good enough for me. How about of you, Mark? Of course it is. Okay. Well, I also <laughs> took my inspiration from a scene where Picard and 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 Riker were talking together, um, mm-hmm. I, but this was the first episode where okay. they were uh, yeah. sitting together and having mm-hmm. a drink. Uh, it turns out, though, they were having the exact same drink. Later, they talk about how uh, how, how how Reichert is a whiskey man. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have it in my uh, with complete with with oh, my badge in yeah. my highball glass poured neat, just like the two of them had in both the first and third episode. So, cheers to you! Cheers! Cheers to a great show. We'll catch you guys mm-hmm. right after the break. everybody and welcome back to the moonshine jesus show we are moving into our geeking out section so we like to geek out for a little bit and really enjoy the shows that we're watching and then later on we'll move into the theology and politics of the show so we are talking today about star trek picard which features sir patrick stewart reprising his iconic role as jean-luc picard which he played for seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation, and the four feature films. And this follows Picard on his next chapter in life. And this season, we're seeing a reuniting of most of the Star Trek The Next Generation crew. And I think the show's all the better for it. So um, 
Picard was the captain of my childhood, Mark. Yes. I grew up watching Captain Picard, and so I have been giddy about this show since it came out because I was a Trekkie, <laughs> and I love, I've got a picture I found recently. Actually, I found a home video of me dressed as Captain Picard at a Star Trek convention when I was a teenager. Yeah. That's exactly how nerdy I was. So, uh, so I've always loved the show, but but you mm-hmm. had a hard time with it, right? Well, I, uh, I have. Yeah, with the with the Picard, the Star Trek with where it's just Picard. The first two seasons, you know, I kind of like the first season, and I should say thanks for bringing up that Picard was the uh, was the captain of your childhood. I know, uh, I, I said that Picard, very intentionally. I knew you did. I knew you did. I knew you did. <laughs> Picard was the captain of my college years. As a matter of fact, me and my college roommates uh, took a long weekend and did a marathon of TNG. And so we were also quite geeky about it. Literally, we stayed up the entire weekend, every waking moment that we could and watched the show back to back to back to back. So uh, yeah. I loved it too. I love the character. I, I, I love all of the characters on the show. I kept having a hard time uh, the first two seasons of this show. I thought the first season was reasonably okay, um, but uh, they introduced uh, Rafi, and I, I never really connected with Rafi or even completely understood Rafi's place. Uh, and it, it, it felt kind of convoluted to me. So admittedly, yeah. um, I think I watched almost the entire first season the first time through. Mm-hmm. But had had to go back and try to get back into it when season two was coming out. Yeah. And then I can't tell you the number of times I restarted season two to try to get into it. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't. Yeah. But season three man that this is a whole new experience like it for is me, they should have named it something different it doesn't even <laughs> feel like the first two seasons of a card yeah we got similar characters and yeah some of the storylines are car- carrying through but oh my gosh it's so much better so much better and that's one of the things that's really been unique about this is every season has had a, a very different story arc and every season has felt quite a bit different. But what do you think it is about season three that has made it so much better? And we should say it's got like a hundred percent fresh rating. So people yeah. like pretty unanimously agree. This is a good show. What, what is it that made it helped it find its footing in its final season? I think so, some of it is simply the nostalgia of seeing all of these characters coming mm-hmm. back together and being able to watch them interact again. I also think some of it is the way that we are getting to re-experience these characters mm-hmm. who had, you know, 20 some years apart from each other. And we also have seen the way the writing room handles them differently. You know, it used to be yeah. that you never really had any real conflict in between mm-hmm. any of the the, the characters on ship. That was yeah. sort of a hard rule. All, uh-huh. all conflict was external. And now we're getting to see all these little pieces of them having real dialogue and real relationships. The story writing yeah. is incredible. They somehow they're still doing incredible action scenes uh, with these yeah. slightly aging actors, but uh-huh. they cut it up so well with these emotional moments. And I think yeah. one of the things they've done is, is, is as, involved as the storyline is they've stripped down the storyline more than it was in the first two seasons it's a pretty Mm -hmm. low investment to get into the Mm storyline and it's an Mm -hmm. interesting there's a just enough secrets that are teasing what might happen i don't know i mean for me that's kind of where it feels like it it, they've hit 
hit on a lot of the things that yeah. are necessary to have a successful show. How about you? Why, why do you, why do you think it's where it is? I, I think you're right. I think nostalgia factor and the relationship piece hit me very hard too, because mm -hmm. uh, there was also in previous iterations and certainly during next generation, when it was on, there was a very clear structure, right? I mean, as right. much as Star Trek talks about being this message of, of, of peace and exploration stuff, it's, also kind of militaristic in some respects and there's oh, a hierarchy and uh it's clear who's in charge here yeah. it's much less clear who's in charge and when you get right down to it they all have very different styles and i think picard yeah. and Riker, in particular have different styles and how they uh assume leaderships and so it assume leadership and so one of the things that really hit me was that we got to see the evolution of these relationships and some difficulties that come yeah. when relationships last for a long time and when you become friends beyond working together. And uh, I, I think that a lot of times we end a show and it's kind of happily ever after, right? And we don't yeah, get to see so. what those relationships really look like. So tell me, what, what do you think this says about relationships that go on for a long time? Uh, <laughs> do, do relationships that go on for a long time, do they, uh, do they tend to last? Uh, are there sources of conflict as, as those go on? Uh, that was just something I was wondering about as I was watching it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at least in the way they're presenting these characters, it's definitely showing that the longer the relationship is, the more you know about each other, good, bad, mm -hmm. and ugly, the more mm -hmm. that you, if it's a good relationship, you provide a space where you're able to go to the bad places with each other and to point at issues and say, ah, mm -hmm. you got an issue right there. Why aren't you dealing with it? Uh, we didn't see that when they were younger. It was almost mm -hmm. like they were early in their relationship and they were all falling in line to what well, the act, social expectations of how we interact as these new crew mm -hmm. members with each other. But they've now had long lives where they've developed their relationships. And I think it's the value of having relationships that span decades is that you get to this real honest place where you can, you know that you can challenge a little bit of yeah. a person where they might be having difficulties and know but just because of your history, that the relationship will survive, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's. I think we really get to explore that with uh, Picard and Riker, and I look forward to seeing how that's explored with other characters as well. But one of the relationships that we got to talk about, Mark, while yeah. we're geeking out, is Picard has a child that we discover in this, right? right. This is a big deal because the, this has been something that, uh, has been explored at length, and Picard has kind of come to terms with the fact that he's not going to have uh, any children, and uh, at least not any biological children. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's uh, a whole concern about legacy. We have that explored at length in the, the Next Generation series and throughout the movies. And Absolutely. so uh, here's my question, Mark. Uh, does Picard having a child fundamentally change his character well i i it's a difficult question to answer only because he has only briefly had a child and it is a very <laughs> tested relationship thus far mm -hmm. um and so has it changed him we i don't know that we've seen any indication that it has changed him in any large way yet um 
and maybe it's something we explore uh, down a, a little further into our conversation, yep. but I don't think it's changed them in any large way. I, I do think that we immediately see the internal conflict that pops up because mm-hmm. I'm going to take what you said about him a step further. Yes. In mm-hmm. season three, they talk about how he doesn't have children and you know, that mm-hmm. whether or not he wanted to, but you know, he was never a person who he had actually decided that he did not want a family. He had at, at some point, I can't remember whether it was one of the movies or during the TNG, he had actually said that because of who he was, he shouldn't have children, that, that mm-hmm. he couldn't be a present father. And that he, and if you look back, particularly at TNG, man, when there were kids around, he wasn't, yeah. you know, down on the floor with the kids and all happy. Matter of fact, frequently he was a little grumpy if there were too many kids around. Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> right? Right. So, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's internal conflict that he's experiencing. I think it's good that we see that. I, I'm going to be very interested to see how it plays out and impacts him moving forward. I will I say, though. Go ahead. No, no. I, I've got a separate thought related to this. So you finish. Okay. I, well, mine's separate, too. But it's related to it, but it's very different. Okay. It's just For me, it's just about the show. Yeah. What an incredible three episodes. So much action. A visually stunning. Really interesting writing. For me, thus far, the single best scene mm-hmm. in all mm-hmm. of the show so far was Jean Luc and Beverly uh, in that room with just the two uh-huh. of them, uh-huh. where she knows that he knows and he knows uh-huh. that she knows he knows, and they sit there and there's that silent across. I love the framing of this. They yeah, put him on one I side know of the, the shot. frame. Yep. It's just mm-hmm. brilliant, and they yep. and it's si- it's silent. It is so well done. And then Beverly starts to explain how all this happened and why she didn't tell him. And when she talks about uh, what where they were when when Jack was conceived, she yeah. says, we, we both knew we were at the end. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I didn't. I didn't. And yeah. you, that, you, he is such an incredible actor. I felt mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all the history, all the pain, all of yeah. the hurt. Yeah, it was with, and it wasn't flashing. It wasn't no. in any kind of interesting room with all kinds of lights and stuff. It was in a plain room, lit well, mm-hmm. and it was just the two of them responding to each other and being very real and having a real relationship, which is where I think it relates back to your question about relationships that that that, that survive over time. I just and it I think brilliant. That's that's the real strength of Star Trek when they lean into it is that it's really yeah. all about the exploration of relationships. And mm-hmm. that scene, I knew which scene you were going to talk. As soon as you said <laughs> there was one scene that stood out, I knew it was going to be that one because sure. because of the way that it looked like they were close together until they framed out. You saw the physical distance to speak to the emotional mm-hmm. distance between the two. Yeah. Uh, so powerful. Back to his point about a child, I think it was in Star Trek uh, Generations, where he loses his brother and his nephew, who are the legacy of his mm-hmm. name, where he yeah. begins to come to terms with the fact that he wants a relationship uh, ongoing and uh, would, mm. would love to have family. So one other question that I, I want to make sure that I get to, I want to pivot a little bit, Mark. Um, okay, so... For most of Star Trek series, uh, we get this mm-hmm. this vision of the future that Gene Roddenberry right. has, right? Yeah. Where we've got what would happen if humanity was at its best? What if 
uh, we have this humanistic fulfillment of, uh, of our potential. But I would yeah. say for maybe the past 20 years or so, um, Star Treks have been quite a bit different than that. And they haven't necessarily explored humanity at its best. Um, there's a lot of infighting. There is the tension. There are conspiracies within the Federation. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious, do you think Star Trek has lost the, uh, the idealism that was originally built into it? I think it 100% has lost the idealism that was built into it. But I think that's because that's not really what made Star Trek incredible. What made it incredible was that how much it was a pronounced reflection of who we were at the time. Mm. TNG came out, middle class was growing. There was all this reason to think that whoever you were, you could be successful. We were seeing some movement in, at least it felt like it then in, in civil rights movements when quality. Now we were being sort of blind to a lot of things, but our, mm-hmm. our kind of zeitgeist, we felt like that's what was going on. And mm-hmm. Star Trek just took that and amped it up. Yeah. And, you know, as, as we have become seeing the middle class be destroyed and, and the hopefulness of a large majority of people who will be consuming this good, uh, deteriorating and flux, fluctuating as they try to figure out how we're make ends meet and, and all those different things, we've seen it get to be a more I would even go dark reflection of mm-hmm. how do you remain hopeful in the midst of all this difficulty, even when you screw up sometimes. So for me, yeah. I think it's it's a reflection of the times it's being made in and trying to amp up the experience of the viewers. Am I re- am I going too far with that? No, I don't think so. I because I I agree that it's not the same kind of vision of the future. I think it's a much more realistic vision of the future yeah. because it shows that you know, you really don't ever overcome being human. And maybe we don't try to overcome being human because that's like a part of life and a part of who right. we are. But I think I think it's clear even in the shots that we see, how, how much darker they are, even in the spaceships mm-hmm. that are, oh, yeah. that you know, are almost completely black in the interior now mm-hmm. that it, it feels darker and it feels right. very much like a reflection of this moment in which we're mm-hmm. living where we're not really sure what the future is going to be like. I think you're you're certainly right that when we're talking about the late 1960s, whenever uh, Gene Roddenberry Original. was kind of casting this, this this vision, right? Yeah, that it was a yeah. much more hopeful time about what we could do with human progress. So, hey, look, I would love to geek out about Star Trek all day, and <laughs> oh, I yeah. would geek out <laughs> about Star Trek all day. But oh, yeah. you know what? We got to move into yes. some more theopolitico stuff. We started talking about some already, but... Why don't we uh, warp away for about 30 <laughs> seconds? And, and we should try and do that after every segment. We should have made well like a, a... Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll come back and we'll dive into the Theopolitico segment. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. You've uh, joined us for a Theo Politico segment. So uh, the first thing that I really want to talk about, because in some ways, uh, 
what we just talked about in our last episode relates to this in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think a lot of what's being done in Star Trek Picard so far is kind of uh, plays off of this idea. There's a scene in a, a hallway on the Titan where Riker's with Jack. And Riker says to Jack, we're all faulty, just human. My question to you is, are we all faulty? Is that just part of being human? And how does that relate to the fall that we hear so much about in terms of Genesis? So, And what are your your thoughts on are we faulty? Okay, yes. Um, So nobody's perfect. And I think that's good theology. That no, yeah. that nobody, nobody does things right a hundred percent of the time, and that's true. Mm-hmm. That's human nature. However, I don't think that we are inherently bad. That we are inherently uh, evil or faulty or or any of that. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's bad theology. And yeah. uh, I, I and so I I try to tell people, hey, look, you are created good as you are, uh, and and Christianity gets this wrong. Christian theology gets it wrong. You're not fundamentally bad. You are fundamentally good, right? You're not bad with occasional goodness. You're good <laughs> with occasional shortcomings. And, and that's okay because that is that is human nature. So I think the whole idea of the fall is <clears throat> terrible theology that, yeah. um, that wasn't a part of theology until Augustine invented it. Uh, and invented this notion of original sin. So uh, that's whenever people start talking to me about original sin, said Jesus wouldn't have even known what original sin was because that hadn't been invented yet. (laughs) (laughs) So so I think the the whole notion of humanity being fundamentally bad and needing saving, like needing saving from Jesus uh, and uh, through death on a cross and atonement for sins, Bad theology. Jesus didn't know about that. Uh, Augustine invented it. I think if we're talking about human beings being fundamentally good and Jesus teaching us how to live better, that's 100 percent good theology. So uh, my uh, so I think in the context that Riker means it, I think he's right. But in the context that Christians mean it, I think they're wrong. How about you, Mark? Where do you land on it? <laughs> I, 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 I completely agree with you. Uh, in the context that Riker means that, I think, yes. My problem is, and, and pop culture does this far too much, um, and, and the, the theological idea of original sin plays into it and amps it up. The problem is that we are faulty too quickly turns into we are broken. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I have a real problem with that language because broken Mm -hmm. means you're something that you're not supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. If a, if a manufacturing line, let's say we're making a toy cars, I don't know, Mm -hmm. hot wheel and uh, they producing them bunches and bunches and bunches. And every one of them has a, a door that doesn't quite close. Right. Well, that's not a broken car. That's what cars those that set of cars do. That's just what they do. They're not broken. That's part of the who they are. It is what they are in total. I, I think we need to get away from trying to think that we're broken and have to be fixed and start just realizing that we're human. And as you put it, you know, that just means that we're more good than bad. And sometimes bad things happen, but that doesn't make us broken. 
Um, there yeah. is this need to be fixed. That's where this atonement comes from is that we're broken and must be fixed. And as humans, we're not even capable of doing it. We need some God to step in and do it on our behalf. Uh, I think that is one of the most dangerous concepts out there in terms of how it, 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 it subconsciously encourages people to go about their lives. We, we're, we're, we're not broken. We're just simply human. Uh, we are yeah. humans trying to discover how much a part of love we really are. Um, I, I just have, I have, I have lots of problems with that language. <laughs> oh, I, I agree with you. And I mean, we're, we have enough hard things going on in life without people coming out and saying, and you know what, you're inherently sinful and you're going to hell unless you're redeemed <laughs> and, and, and God has saved you. But a, a shout out to Angie Archer, who reminds us of the original blessing theology, right? So not the original sin that Augustine invented, but the idea of original blessing in uh, Genesis where God looks at all creation and names it as good. And I agree that that is so much better theology to hear Absolutely. affirmed from the very beginning that we are good. And I think if we hear that message, it's just like kids, right? If you tell kids they're bad, they start behaving in a bad way. If you tell kids they're good, then mm -hmm. they 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 listen to that and they Absolutely. believe in themselves and gain confidence. I think that's what we need to tell each other as human beings too. Hey, look, we are fundamentally good. We have the potential to do good in this world. And, and Jesus taught us how to do that a little better. Let's do it. And so I'm with you. Let's get rid of the faulty theology and uh, let's lean into the created good theology. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, I want to do another quote here and get your thoughts mm -hmm. on on part of what it seems like the show may be setting up. Um, in this show, I, it was really fun. We get uh, we get Worf back, but it's sort of Zen yes. Worf. Like it's yeah. a Zen Worf, right? It's, it, there's some Zen in, in Worf. I, I just, I started, I was starting every time we go, oh, cool. Zen Worf, Zen Worf, there he is again. Um, so when, when he, uh, when when he is in begin he and Rafi are beginning to interrogate a prisoner. Yeah. And uh he says to the prisoner, There is no righteous cause, no good, no evil. You believe in your fight. First, and I'm gonna come back to this quote, okay, because yeah. I want to go, I want to continue something he says after it. Mm -hmm. Is there good and evil? He says there is no righteous cause, no righteous cause. No good, no evil. That what we believe in is whatever we decide our fight is. Uh, no, I, I mean ultimately, I, I mean, I, I, I think there is a difference between uh, between better actions and and worse actions. And so I think, like for instance, if you are killing 117 innocent people, as this person has just done, that's an exactly. evil action. You know, and uh, so I, I don't think we can say that that's morally ambiguous because I, I don't it's not. Uh, and especially as we find out more about the, the justifications for why this person is, is doing it. Right. We find out they're a changeling and they're uh, and they're attacking uh, humanity. So um, I, I I I understand where Zen Wharf is coming from. <laughs> but uh, uh <laughs> But no, fundamentally, I thought that was an odd thing to say, um, yeah. and and I and I didn't really find myself agreeing with it. How about you? I, I did not agree with the overall statement that there's no good and evil. I'm completely with you. Uh, there are things that are 
more morally reprehensible. And uh, for me, I, uh, evil is a good word to put on that. So I do think there there are those things. But I think that the, it was just kind of a little bit of sloppy writing because what they were what they seemed to be trying to say. Uh, his point was, uh, you think that you're fighting for the righteous cause, essentially. Mm -hmm. But all you're really doing is, is is believing in your fight. Because he later, very quickly, turns and says, the fight is rarely worth dying for. So mm -hmm. I think there was some value in what was going, what they were yeah. trying to set up there. Is, is that, And we see this a lot, particularly in... A, in a, us being in the U.S., we see it in, in politics where people actually get more wrapped up in winning the fight mm -hmm. than in what is what is right and good, mm -hmm. what is mm -hmm. uh, good and evil. Uh, and and I liked his point that the fight is rarely worth dying for. I'm curious though. We see people who almost seem like the fight is the cross they're willing to die on. Uh -huh. How, what do we do to help people recognize this fight's not worth dying for, man? Yeah, I think it's reframing. And so mm -hmm. we have done things, uh, we have set kind of people up against each other and in many ways have lost seeing the humanity in each other. And I yeah. think reframing uh, the conversation is often helpful. And so I think about like William Barber is someone who I think does a great job right. at reframing the conversation, right? Because mm -hmm. he said, because he says, this is not a, this is not left versus right, liberal versus conservative. This is Red right versus, blue. versus right. It's right versus wrong. Exactly. And I think whenever you reframe the conversation to say mm -hmm. you're either on, on the right side uh, of, of justice or you're for the, or you're for oppression. And, yeah. and the first time that I heard him say that, I, I thought, well, that's a really great way to reframe. And so I think reframing is is very important. And a, another piece of that quote that Worf said, I think, is also important. So before yeah. he says that the fight is uh, rarely worth dying for, he says, your anger is your enemy. And yes. we're all the same. And so... Uh, I, I don't know that we're all the same, but, but <laughs> I, I think if we're talking about we all have commonalities, then that's certainly yeah. true. And I think that often our anger is our enemy because a lot of times people get so angry and worked up that we stop listening to reason. We stop listening to each other. We start dehumanizing other people and we can no longer see any value in what they're saying. And I think this happens all across the spectrum. And so I think letting go of some of the anger and trying to recenter and reframe is one of the things that could really help us to, to move on. But geez, Mark, that's a big ask. Well, <laughs> in the kind of political <laughs> state that we're in, uh, do you have ideas on how to get there? Because I don't think I, I have a solution to that. Well, I think you did have a solution to it. I think reframing is a big part of it. And part of it is, um, figuring out creative ways to not buy into the fight because it's not a fight if one side doesn't buy into it. It takes mm -hmm. more than one. You can't have a fight when you're the only side. And I think we've got to figure out more creative ways of approaching whatever the issue that's being put forward that's trying to be made, this giant fight. We've got to figure out ways to present it so that you understand, help, help folks somehow see that they are really more about the fight rather than 
more about winning the fight rather than the outcome of the issue. Because I think more times than not, uh, we agree on what we think the best outcome of an issue is if we can get rid of our need to be involved in this fight because our anger is fueling that fight. So I think we've got to help people figure out how to do it. But I think the very first step, I think you were right on it, is to reframe the issue in a way that doesn't make it a fight. Hmm. Hmm. We could go on and on. We've got lots more that, that this show has been digging up, but uh, we are, we're not going to be able to do that right now. Uh, we are running out of time. So we're going to have to uh, move into our, our next segment, one of our favorite segments, where we will both attempt to make our co-host look stupid. <laughs> Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are entering our final segment, the Make Me Look Stupid segment, where we get to try and make our co-hosts look stupid. Thanks for sticking around with us to the bitter end here as we ask some questions about Star Trek Picard. So let's see, Mark. Uh, Hmm. One that I want to know is uh, Jordi LaForge is one of mm-hmm. my favorite characters uh, from Star Trek The Next Generation, I, both because I like the character and because I like LeVar Burton, you know? Absolutely, he was great person. For, te- uh, for teaching a whole generation to read <laughs> Reading Rainbow. I love oh, yeah. LeVar Burton. We haven't seen him yet. We've met his right. daughter so far. Very cool. I want to know, what role do you think Jordy LaForge is going to play in this season, what do you think? Do you think he has a, a unique role? Is he uniquely situated yeah. to help them solve any kind of a problem? How do you think he's going to oh, run? I, I, I've been struggling with that question. So I'm glad you asked because I'm, I'm really interested to hear your answer. Um, so he's currently in charge of the historic uh, museum or something like that. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact words that they use because Picard was going to send a very famous painting to him to have for his mm-hmm. records there. Mm-hmm. But uh, we, they make a real point in episode three to have his daughter say what a disappointment it was when the great engineer, Jordy LaForge's daughter, decided to be pilot. Mm-hmm. I think that that is, is a kind of quick little tip of the hat by the writers to why Jordy is going to be important. I, I think we're going to see this mystery with, the, with these large holes that are opening that are mm-hmm. multidimensional, or pro- I'm guessing they probably also maybe relate to time, possibly. Um, I think that they're going to need an engineer to come in to help them figure out either how to beat it or how they work. And that the person that's going to make the most sense in some way, one way or the other is going to be Jordy. Um, that seems though that technology seems to be a really important piece of technology because we've not really seen it in the Star Trek universe up until now. Um, and it is clearly a, 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 a weapon of sorts. So it's highly engineered. Um, for me, that seems like it's got to be the reason he comes in, but I'm really, really not pol- completely. So I just watched episode three yeah. a couple hours before this show. So I've not processed yeah. it as deeply as I could. What What are your thoughts? I think they're, I think they're going to need Jordy's help to get out of their current situation. So we've last left them 
drifting and the, the the titan is the ship they're in and it's completely yep. disabled and they're going to the center of this thing that may be kind of living this kind of energy source i think they're going to need jordy's help to get out of it and then i think it's you're tough. right i think they're going to need to to figure out what this what this is and jordy genius that he is i think is the Indeed only one who's who's going to come back uh and i i think lore uh, we've seen uh, some mm-hmm. uh, some things uh, with lore. Uh, lore. I think I think lore then is going to come in and is going to is going to be their uh, foil. Okay, so I, I, I like that I answer. I like that answer. What, right. You've got a question for me, I bet, Mark. Well, you know me. I have a, a series of questions that play off of each other. <laughs> so, I didn't steal uh, any of them this week. You, you almost did. You almost did. When, <laughs> when you asked how did uh, Picard becoming a father change him, Mm-hmm. You almost stole where I want to go with this. Okay. So that I, I scene that, that, okay. that scene that we both loved, right? Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. with Picard and, and and Beverly Crusher together talking about him being a father. And she talks about how she decided to not tell him. Mm-hmm. What if she had told him? So my first set of questions is how would have becoming a father and being a father changed Picard? That's my first question. Okay. Assuming so you that he had to, known uh, at birth. Okay, so you're so you want me to answer these one at a time this week, yes. Mark, right? You're not gonna rapid fire them. No, okay, I think they're gonna build on, I think they're going okay. to build on each other. Okay, so he's I think they said twenty some odd years. Twenty-three, um, so, I, I think it's twenty-three. And so I think had that been before the Romulan incident that Picard was helping out with. I don't think it would have made any difference. So even though I think, as I said earlier, that Picard had a a desire to like carry on the family name and the legacy, this is something that we see explored at length. I think that Crusher is right in the fact that the galaxy is always calling out to Jean-Luc Picard. And I think that that son being born before that incident wouldn't have made a difference. He would have he would have felt an obligation to help hmm. uh, to help people. Um, now, after that all went south, I think instead of retreating to his chateau uh, and his vineyard, I think right. he would have focused on the his family and found meaning there. But I don't think that would have been as so. You so you don't think it would have changed how he made decisions? Not that he wouldn't have been involved. But that that he has a child that he like that he needs to protect in some way. Like um, Beverly said, that the the main goal of of a parent is to protect their child, uh, and we see that in the way it plays out with her relationship with Jack. Um, and we, I would argue, we also see that the loss of a child has changed Riker at who yeah. in terms of who he is. I think some of the the tension between him and Picard as uh, Picard is struggling with this new, having a child yeah. and they're trying to figure out who's leading the Titan. Um, I would argue that a part of this tension is coming from him having lost a child and Picard having this child and, you know, not being able to make his mind up about how he's going to interact with them. Um, I, I, think I, I think you're a hundred percent right about Riker. I think, um, I think that Picard ultimately, I think this is a reflection. I think that scene is a reflection of my argument about because I don't think Picard because Riker says you want to protect your son I don't think that's what it is I think Picard wants to win because Picard always Hmm. wants to win 
um, and always thinks he will. Um, yeah. And so I think that's a fundamental part of his character is that there was nothing in in his experience that made him think that he was going to lose against this ship that vastly outclassed the Titan. Yeah, he he's Jean-Luc Picard and he was going to win. So that implies to a small degree that yeah. Jack would have grown up with a absent father. Do you think that would have changed Jack in any way from what we see right now? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, so I, I think it depends, right? So I think if, um, if, if my supposition is correct, that, uh, that uh, Picard would have initially been an absentee father until things went wrong with the Romulans, and then he would have right. reinvested himself then no, I think that uh, that he would have he would have grown up with a father, and it. Well, I mean, that was far been, enough in that he would have had a bit of his childhood before Picard reinvested himself. Yeah, but I think that you're. I don't think it's ever too late to rebuild relationships, yeah, and so enough. I think that you know, a, a child, even if their parent hasn't been involved in their life up to a certain point, it it can change the outcome if they come back and are invested. Um, and I think a lot of times in early childhood, kids see their parents, even absentee parents, as heroes, even if they shouldn't be perceived that way. And so yeah. I think that I think that Picard would have come back, and I think that Jack would have entered Starfleet if uh, Picard had okay. been around in some way. But what do you think? It sounds like you think we would have ended up with the same Jack either way. I think we'd have ended up with the same Jack either way, uh, but yeah. either because he ultimately has an absentee father, whether she, yeah. whether she, Beverly told him or didn't tell him. Um, and I do think he would have been a bit of an absentee father with you. Picard is Picard is Picard. He wouldn't be unable to, he, he's going to have this sense of this horrible thing is about to happen to the universe and only I can fix it. And is it better for this child to have in this moment, a loving father, or is it better to make the universe a better place, and he's always going to choose thinking that he can make the universe a better place. That is um, Picard in a nutshell. The way you right. just summarize it, that is the way Picard sees the world. Sees the way the he universe. thinks, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's the way he thinks. So, but you mm -hmm. said that you can amend uh, relationships. So my question is, mm -hmm. Jack seems very, very upset with Picard right now, which we don't really understand why, since he knows that Picard had no idea about him until just a few hours ago in terms of the time frame right. of the movie, of the show. Uh, do you think they'll, they'll mend the relationship? Yeah, I think to, to some degree, I think that they'll, um, that they'll build a relationship. I don't know what that'll look like yet, but I think certainly they will build their relationship. And, you know, if Picard survives the season, then maybe they'll <laughs> go on their next adventure together, whatever that looks like. Um, because I mean, they've already killed him once, so who, who knows if he'll survive or not? But uh, if, you know, I did notice just for what it's worth when they beamed them off of the other ship back onto mm -hmm. the Titan, yeah, in the corner, uh, it, it, we could see that there were four human bodies that were being beamed back. And I didn't think he had a human body anymore. Anyway, this threw me off for a second. I'll have to go back and look. I'll yeah. have to go back there, and look. On the right-hand frame, you see four yeah. bodies signifying human humans. Interesting. Yeah. But technically, he's not really human any, anyway. Uh, we could go on and on. We could geek out more and more, and we probably would if we had more time. 
But yes. we've already gone far I, enough in this. Let's and talk I a little finished, bit. And of... I finished your, your questions, Mark. There are uh, no my whole questions. line, you, you, I, was, I was prepared to go both ways. I wasn't sure how you were going to answer that one, man. I really wasn't sure. Like, like I could see making the argument that this is a guy who has a big heart, and maybe he would just invest all in his kid. And I was going to say at that point, if he invested all in his kid, what would that mean for the universe? And ask you the question that I would mm. put into Picard's head of, is it better for the child to grow up in a loving family or is it better to have this person saving the universe? But we didn't have to go there because you, you gave the better answer. Personally. Uh, uh, but sure. Yeah. I like that. You got, no, you did. You gave the better answer. So yeah, we uh, let's talk a little bit about next week and what we're going to be talking about on that show. Okay, Mark. So this week we've been talking about Star Trek. What do you think yes. if next week we do a major pivot and we talk about Whoa. Star Wars. Wars. All right. <laughs> yeah. I and see where you're add, going. Still, we're in, we're in the third season of Picard. We're also in the third season third of season The Mandalorian. Mandalorian. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So, and it we'll works have for what, me. two episodes. Two episodes at that point. They just dropped okay. the first, which was really, really good. I liked it a lot. So, yeah, yeah I kind of like that. And we just recently talked uh, about uh, Pedro Pascal and his other giant hit so this could uh -huh. be a lot of fun doing the compare and contrast okay. between all three of these shows so yeah works for me all right folks uh you have your assignment uh, until next week so please uh try to catch up just a couple of shows to watch it'll be great fun having you with us live uh, and throwing questions in chat when we do that but until then thank you thank you so much for either watching this live or downloading it on your podcast and seeing it through the entire show we are very glad you made it with us. And until next time, uh, thank you, and we'll see you on the Moonshine Show.